1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because It Ain't Weak to Speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode on the podcast. Sounded like a commentator there, didn't I? Anyway, guys, welcome back to the podcast. Always great to have you here. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you like it, leave a review, rate the podcast, and as I love to say, please subscribe to the podcast. It'll literally take you two seconds. And the beauty of that is not only do we climb the podcast charts on on good old Apple, but we actually get the podcast out there so that we can have these conversations with more people, change more lives, impact more lives. So as a community, we can kind of work together to make that happen. So please subscribe to the podcast. It will take two seconds. If you love this episode, definitely leave a review and a comment because I believe these things can change lives. That being said, We have an amazing guest on the podcast. This this guest is very busy. took me so long to get them on the podcast. I'm super grateful for their time. His name is Alex McKinnon. This is episode number 75 on the podcast. We're getting on, man. We're getting on. But Alex is a former NRL rugby league player in Australia. So everyone in Australia listening to this, you might know who Alex is. If you're not from Australia... Alex is a former rugby league uh, professional star in Australia, played for the Newcastle Knights. We'll talk about his involvement, what led him to playing football, his career. But we also talk about his season-ending and life-changing injury. He had fractures to his C4 and C5 vertebrae, which left what they like to call as an incomplete condition. It happened in 2014 in March, round three, against the Melbourne Storm and has left him in a wheelchair for the rest of his life and i want to talk to alex about this in particular this journey how hard it must have been to be able to play first grade rugby league to be injured the way he was injured that changed his whole life to be able to have three beautiful daughters three beautiful girls to be a father how that impacted fatherhood for him some of the biggest challenges that left him lost suicidal. I want to explore what that was like, the moments leading up to the game, just before his injury. I want to really get in the front seat and find out what that day was like leading up to it. But most importantly, the guy is an absolute weapon. He, he really is the true epitome of gratitude. If you want to talk about gratitude and, and how you can foster gratitude and build gratitude, this is the episode that's going to t- tell you all about that. Alex has has a mindset which I've never encountered in my entire life. To be able to talk with Alex for the time that I did, over an hour actually, which I'm super, super excited about, and learn about his mindset, how he's remained so strong, calm, how he's had a different outlook on life because of the condition that he's he's been dealt with and the blow and the impact that had on his life, his family, his personal life, his friendships, the list goes on. But, you know, when you strip all that back, Alex is a great human being, and he's done wonderful things in his life. He continues to do wonderful things in his life, and I can't wait for him to share that with all of you. So let's just get him on the podcast. Let's give him a a very warm welcome, a warm introduction, and let's all get straight to it. Without further ado, take it to the stage, Alex McKinnon. Welcome on to It Ain't Week to Speak, Alex McKinnon. Mate, it's been an absolute whirlwind trying to get you on the podcast, man. I'm stoked that you're on here. Welcome.
2: Yeah. No, I'm pumped, man. It's, like you said, we've got a lot of mutual friends. and man, can't have a chat, to be honest.
1: Yeah, so am I, man. So I'm, As I mentioned to you off-air a moment ago, I don't do a lot of research to a point where I know all the ins and outs of my guests because they know themselves, obviously, better than anyone else will ever know them, and I like to come from a place of curiosity, kind of like no, a little bit, not enough, and I'll generally just ask questions, but obviously, we've got a lot of mutual friends. Growing up, I loved footy, played footy myself, not quite as successful as, obviously, yourself. So before we get straight into the podcast, obviously, let's rewind. Today, where are you as of right now? Whereabouts in the world are you living? Are you in Australia? Are you Sydney? Newcastle? Where are you right now?
2: Yeah, i am in Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. Been living here for about 10 years now. I grew up in Hunter Valley, so kind of up where all the, the vineyards and a lot of the horse studs and a lot of that type of part of Australia. When I went to school in like Scone, which is like the horse capital of Australia. So I grew up around all that kind of horsey kind of things, a lot of breeding and racing and obviously rugby league and sport around that area. But yeah, at the moment, I'm in Newcastle.
1: Nice, man. Nice. So, so when you say, oh, I know Newy pretty well. I've actually mm. got a really close friend here in LA He's like, tell Alex I'm a, I'm a Newey boy. His name's Jakey. So I told him I'd let him know. And he's on the podcast now. So mate, I know Newey pretty well. I yeah. remember going out there a few times growing up, mate. That was a loose town, that place. It probably still is. Whereabouts in Newey are you? Are you out on, like when you said you're out, you know, with horses and stuff like that, are you still out? Or are you near the beach? Whereabouts are you?
2: Nah, so I'm about five minutes from the beach, from Maryland the okay. Beach. Yeah, so I've got a good little spot. I've kind of lived in the same street for about 10 years, to be honest. And- oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Only a couple of places just across the road, but yeah, I really like it. Central. I like the sense of community. It's a small little pocket of Newcastle, and there's good cafes, and you regularly see the same people, and it's nice and flat to get, for me to get around in a wheelchair. And there's lots of things for the kids around to do because I've got three little girls. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Man, Newcastle's a expansive town, I suppose. It's it's always growing with the uni and the hospital and all that type of stuff. And yeah, I really like living here
1: mate that's good to hear you know that sense of community definitely makes living in a location so much more appealing you know especially when it's not because i know newcastle isn't too big but it's not too small either it's not like where there's not a lot to do there's a lot to do there but it's not like too big like you're suffocated in the city of sydney you know what i mean or bondi yeah. or, the, or the northern beaches
2: yeah i think there's around five hundred thousand people in the newcastle area but it's got everything you kind of need i, I go down to sydney a little bit it's probably about an hour and a half from sydney now with the roads changing and like we said before, I spend a bit of time up in Burley on, on the Goldie, and that really only takes around seven hours to drive there now because I sort of drive my own car, which allows me to have the car up there when I'm there, so it's not a pretty easy drive.
1: That's so good, hey. It's crazy how they just cut those highways down, man. It just becomes quicker. When I used to drive up there, used to live Sydney, went to the Gold Coast as a young fella, and then the other way I was going Gold Coast. We moved to Gold Coast and used to go down to Sydney, and it used to take us like 14 hours to drive. That was when I was real, yeah. Crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Okay, that sort of sets the foundation. Nice. I knew he's a good place right near Merriweather Beach. That's great. So what are you up to these days? Because I obviously want to talk about, you know, your football careers. Growing up in Newcastle, was footy just the thing that you were thrown in? Like how did rugby league, because there's a lot of listeners that probably don't know a lot about rugby league. Yeah. How did rugby league come to happen for you in your life?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in a small country town called Aberdeen, which is about an hour and a half north of Newcastle. There's only 2,000 people in the town, so it's really, really small. And rugby league was just in my family. The local footy ovals named after my pop. Dad played a, a kind of big role in the local community organisation of football, and I just loved it, always around it. I learned so much growing up around older people and the people that I was always around there with football. Was always a dream that that's what i wanted to do and i went to boarding school when i was 15 oh, when i was 14 sorry down in sydney at st greg's in Campbelltown, and i did that to kind of go and chase the dream to play rugby league and fortunate enough when I, my first year down there in year nine i was able to be contracted with the saint george dragon so
1: grade nine grade yeah. nine bloody hell yeah it was pretty
2: crazy yeah i'm an only child as well so leaving that i suppose that small Little community of Aberdeen, 2000 people to go down to Campbelltown. And I remember going in, walking into my dorm, and the dorm was about 12, probably 12 kids. And there was probably only one or two kids that had like an Australian heritage. Like I had a guy from Singapore, I had three Sudanese people, like Sudanese kids with a really different background and upbringing. I had probably four guys that they were, had an Italian background from out Griffith, New South Wales. And an aboriginal kid and i remember going in there going i've come from this like a town a little country town and i've just like not really cultured that like didn't have a great deal of background of being around <laughs> new cultures i just walked in there going holy hell like it just really blew my mind but it was such a great experience for myself to go to boarding school and i always say to people like it's they asked me what it was like and it's being in boarding school to me it, it was a really safe environment for me to kind of learn and grow as a man and I, obviously at that time you kind of think of sacrifices that you're giving up and whether it's just a normal teenage stuff but i really loved boarding school and i don't think i'd be the kind of person i am today if i didn't go and yeah it was pretty crazy to obviously play football down there against a lot of different people and there's a quite a heavy influence of polynesian kids that played in there so it was a big eye-opener for me a lot bigger than a white kid from yeah. from then. but it, yeah it was pretty cool
1: what was your hot mate that's epic, yeah, and so a couple of things, so hold up on the whole of the boarding school thing. would you encourage other young kids, boys in particular to go through boarding school if they have the opportunity or like is it something yeah. you recommend to other families yeah uh, I definitely would
2: man like I was very fortunate to have the family that I did and very supportive parent both parents worked really hard. it wasn't an issue of going there to be in a safer environment or anything like that it was a really supportive home life, very lucky to have grandparents and really good influences around me. But it just really put me out of my comfort zone. And like my parents, they worked hard to save money to send me there. So it was a really big eye-opener for me sacrifice-wise because they've made the sacrifice for me to go. Then also comfort zone, I had a lot of friends. I'd gone to high school for year seven and year eight in my local area. So I formulated a lot of good friends. So it was really hard for me to leave, but I always had to go and play rugby league and play professionally. And my game went to another level down there. It allowed me to really focus on just me, mate. Like, I didn't have any, really, any, or many outside influences. No distractions. No distractions. Just none, man. Like, yeah. in, it was actually school. It was go to the gym. It was play touch footy. It was really immerse yourself in the Marish brothers kind of culture. I went to church a heap which I actually really liked. There's a lot of singing at masses and different ceremonies which I actually really liked. You formed a really close friendship with people all across New South Wales and and even internationally and it was a massive eye opener for myself to learn and to grow to be honest.
1: Yeah, it sounds very kind of like powerful in the way that it shaped you as a human today. Like if you look back and we talk about often, you know, we're all shaped by our past experiences and we're shaped by our beliefs and how we were, you know, brought up by the family and, you know, you've grown up in a very supportive family who you got the opportunity to go to boarding school, you know, like it was a thing to make, you know, improve your life kind of thing and to have a shot at the rugby league, I guess, career in a more serious light. Like some people get sent to boarding school off different reasons you know what I mean so for you to go there in a place where it was a safe environment you were leaving a very beautiful place it wasn't like you were leaving somewhere that was chaotic and you were going to this place because it was like a saving grace it was kind of like you were doing great but now we need to go here to level up kind of thing
2: yeah and that's exactly how I felt I knew it was going to be tough I knew but I knew it was what I wanted and I learned it really instilled the importance of comfort zone and it really showed me the growth that can come through that and and I've definitely taken that in nearly every situation that I come with. I definitely like to feel comfortable as everybody does, but I definitely like to recognize that there's other areas to grow and, and I like to get a little bit uncomfortable sometimes.
1: Yeah, mate, for sure. And I think that's the only place you grow really. Like you can keep winning and keep getting pats on the back and excelling at your career. But I feel like the biggest growth spurts you'll ever get is places where you fuck up or you make a mistake or something – traumatic happens in your life and you've got no other choice but to be out of your comfort zone you know what I mean
2: yeah for sure I think one of the funny things I finished went to boarding school I was a year young for my year so I finished when I was 17 and I was still signed with the Dragons and the St George Dragons and I left so I was in Campbelltown in a boarding school and we finished in the November and I was starting with the NRL team in the November to do pre-season so I finished school I didn't really know where I was going to stay in Wollongong. I had a lot of friends there, but I hadn't fully set it up. And I ended up moving in with Darius Boyd and Jake Marquito into a three-bedroom unit right in the centre of Wollongong. Darius was 23 at the time. Jake was 19, and I was 17. I knew Jake. I knew a lot of the boys that were around that 19, 20-year-old age group. But Darius was playing professional football. He just won a comp with the Brisbane Broncos. He was 23 years old. He had a Hummer-like. Fuck. This is 2018. I did it's 2008, sorry. 2008. I just, just left school and I'd literally been at boarding school, a little bit sheltered from, I suppose, just life. And <laughs> I was living in boarding school. I'd get the odd experience of what, I suppose, teenage life was like on the weekend if I went to a party or something like that. But I left boarding school when I was 17 and then moved to Wollongong with these boys. And, mate, it was an eye-opener. Hey, like, so, so funny. I remember being at home on the lounge playing PlayStation, and they'd be coming home once the local places shut at one or two in the morning, and I'd be still up playing PlayStation. And because I, was, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't able to get it. anyway. it was yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy.
1: And then, so you okay? So then you roomed with the boys. This was in Saint George, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So this is where you're playing Saint because you played for the Dragons before you played for the Knights. So let me ask you this: Do you think? Without the boarding school, if you look back on it right now, do you think your career would have taken that next level without it?
2: No, man, I was. It sounds a bit strange, but I'm an only child. I love being around the community. I love being around my friends and that. I always had a bit of, I still do to this day, a little bit of imposter syndrome where I don't really think I'm good enough. I work really hard, but I've always probably been my own toughest critic. And when I went to high school, year seven and year eight, I found that I was. I formulated some friends that made me feel so comfortable for just who I was. And I never really had felt that before. And to then go and leave that was really tough for me. And I just thought that if I stayed at home, as much as I love the people from where I'm from, I just never wanted to be, that wasn't what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. And yeah, it might sound strange, but I love the environment. I love going home there. They were really good role models for me. But I just didn't want to stay there.
1: Yeah. You wanted kind of more than that. You wanted I, I to to grow and shit like that, eh? Yeah. And I wanted
2: to inspire mm. them as well. Like I wanted to, I was always driven by the fear of returning home and not making it. Like that was one of the biggest things that drove me the whole time because I just I never wanted to go back home and be another person that went to Sydney and didn't make it. It was always something really motivating factor. But yeah, going to boarding school, mate, I would not be the person. I would not have played first grade. I would not have done any of these things if I
1: didn't do it. When you talk about, because it's really important and it's a great message that you brought up about imposter syndrome. I think most people listening to this podcast probably have some resonation with that on some level in their life, whether it's now or it will be later on in their life. What is it about, you know, when you've put in the effort, you've trained. You've worked your ass off, you've gone to boarding school, you've turned up, you've trained, you've probably gone above and beyond because you don't just get to the places where you've got to in your life just from luck. It comes with hard work, dedication, commitment. There may be a little bit of luck somewhere along the line. I think that's the case with every career, but most of it's hard work, dedication, and all that sort of stuff that comes with it. Your talent and all that sort of stuff. What was it about the imposter syndrome? Like, what would be the things you'd tell yourself? I'm not good enough? Like, what was it?
2: Yeah. So you actually got to a point. So I played 50 NRL game before when I got injured. It was, that was on the, when I, how many of I played when I got injured. There were occasions, so that was around three seasons that I played. I remember in the second season, in the first season, I played quite well. And the second season, I was really trying to make that leap to try and get better. And I remember those games where I was standing on the field and thinking to myself, when are they going to find out that like I'm not as good as what they think I am or not as good as but I'm getting picked in these teams. I'm 19 years old. But when's it gonna all kind of catch up to me? When are they gonna find out that I'm not really up to it? Like there's made multiple occasions where I'll and I think it's yeah. I even envision myself overthinking things sometimes where I'd feel like I'd take a run and it would be like I'd tackled myself because I didn't think that I could break the line because I didn't wasn't able to do it, even though I'd done it so many times before.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Really strange. That's powerful, man. It's kind of like you're far out. You're so yeah. Let's go through it from this way. So imposter syndrome was something, did that start, you know, when you're starting to get into the NRL? Where did that start for you? Or was it something you've struggled with your whole life?
2: Um, I always had the insecurity and that was what kind of drove me that I didn't want to fail. So the fear of failure was something that's really drove me. It probably wasn't until I got into my life kind of was solely football. Because as when you're a kid or a teenager, you play You got school, you got assignments, girls, you got so many elements of what, like so many pots on the stove. I mean, lots of things are happening, and I didn't really have time to stop and think. When I left school, and it was purely just football, and it was so important for me to go and make it. And it was kind of then where life kind of slowed down, and I started to really overthink a lot of things. It's crazy that I eh? yeah when you start to do like reviews on your game or when you start to analyze your game or when you start to do all these things i would never really done that or really purely focused on my skill i always just played i mean i always just lived your life it wasn't until i got a bit older i left school where you're forced to do reviews on your performance from the weekend or really set goals in regards to focusing on what I need to improve or what I didn't do good last year. And it was that sole focus. Once that got put on me, I kind of, yeah, started to really overthink it a little bit.
1: I can really resonate with that, you know, like, and I'm hearing you say kind of thing where you're growing up, you're playing footy, it's definitely something you love, you're hanging out with the boys, you're going to school, doing the assignments, you've got a bunch of things going on and it's not your whole focus. So it sounds to me like there wasn't a great deal of pressure, so to speak. Uh, When you take uh, away that and you focus on the one thing that, as you've mentioned a couple of times now in this podcast, I just didn't want to fail. That was my driving force. That was what kept me working. That's what kept me working hard, was not wanting to fail. And then when you've put into this position of, okay, footy's now the one thing that I've always wanted to accomplish and succeed at and probably show my family and stuff that I want to succeed at, this is all I'm focusing my time and energy on now. So then it sounds like, and I have the same problem with my acting stuff sometimes, man, where it's kind of like, fuck, if that's all I want to do, it's kind of like you're putting so much pressure on yourself to actually make it and you overthink things. And sometimes it actually doesn't work out in your favor. Do you agree yeah. when I say that?
2: Yeah. I actually said to someone the other day, there's a couple of points what I'm about to say, but when there's a ceiling on something, like when, for example, playing professional sport, um, I'm a massive NFL fan. So I watch, I've been watching it for ten years, but I'm right into it, man. But with professional sport, like there's a really, there's always an entry point. So, like I saw the other day, there's a kid that a player that debuted who's the oldest ever to debut in the NRL, and he's 29 years old. But usually, people enter the NRL at a young age. They enter it at well, I entered it at 19, but most people are around that 20, 21, 22, because if you don't get in at that stage. You're not making a lot of cash if you haven't really played then and you're just trying to prioritise other things, family, kids, work. You go in a different direction. So when I always, I never really recognised it until I left school, but when the clock starts and you go, gee, if I haven't played first grade by 20 or 21, I'm probably not going to be any good or I'm not going to play at all. When I really recognised that that ceiling was there, that time I had started, the pressure really got on me. And it wasn't until I got into the NRL that first year and I was just trying to keep my head above the water, that it was so fast and so much was happening, I wasn't really thinking about it. But then when I kind of established myself as an NRL player, I then set goals to play State of Origin and for Australia. And I saw other people doing that that were my age. So I was like, fuck, I've got to do that. So then for me, the timer again, started again. I'm going, man, they've made it. Why haven't I made it? Am I not good as them? I need to do this. Okay. I started to really overthink somebody else's progression. And I think to my life right now, I always place that pressure on myself. So I started working in like player personnel, like recruitment for the Knights. And when I started that, I started at the bottom. So I started in like scouting, evaluating, just communicating with players and doing a bit of development stuff, skill development with young players. And then I wanted to be the recruitment officer and then I wanted to be the GM. So I always placed this pressure on myself to kind of continually to grow and get to the next stage. And that's what I thought I wanted. But it wasn't until probably about a year ago where I was very fortunate to get exposed to that role but not actually have the role. And I kind of looked at some things and I went, you know, that's not what I want to do. It doesn't really work with my life and my balance and my kids. That's not what I want to do. And it was the first time kind of time where I've been at peace with going, that's not what I want to do. So I'm not going to waste my time continuing to try to grow or trying to climb the ladder. I'm going to take a step back. And now I'm at university and I'm finally at a time where I used to be at uni and be so frustrated with the time it would take for me to finish my degree and so i would never finish it i've been in uni three times and pulled out after six months every time because i was so frustrated that i was just beaten up by it was going to take three or four years and i wanted it now i wanted to work hard i wanted it now i didn't want to wait and unfortunately you forced to wait. i mean you forced it is a four-year degree and now i'm at a real peace with i'm enjoying the study i'm enjoying meeting different people i'm enjoying learning about a lot of different stuff and It's probably the first time in my life where I haven't placed that ceiling upon myself that, you know, when I'm 30, I turn 30 in February, I could be a psychologist for the next or use that degree for the next 30 years. If I get my degree by 33, that's still so young. Exactly. By by, by before, I used to go, fuck, 33, holy shit. Yeah. I used to be real lost with it, but, yeah, it's such a weird feeling.
1: Mate, I get it, and then especially when you're, like, in the – industry so to speak with let's just use it football for example and everyone else is doing things you're always constantly and i think this is a thing that we all struggle with alex i think we all struggle with something on some level comparison and where is someone on their journey and why aren't i there and then you kind of beat yourself up and when you get to that level whether it's in footy or whether it's in work or whether it's in a relationship it's kind of like all right what's next what am i going to do next it's kind of like Do you ever sit at that level ever and sit back and genuinely, genuinely cherish that moment as where you are in that particular time into your life? Or are you always chasing the next best thing? For me, I've probably been the latter. I think I've probably always tried to chase the next best thing. And I've come to the realization that, you know, mental health struggles and anxiety and all these things that I probably battle with on a day to day basis, they don't go away when you get to the next best thing. You know what I mean? They stay there. No. And if not, they come back 10 times as strong. So, man, I find that very interesting. It's a very interesting point that you mentioned there.
2: The reason why I think I'm at the point now is, like, I've got three little girls. Harriet turns four in October, and I've got identical twins that are one year old. And it really wasn't until I remember being becoming a dad for the first time and I placed this pressure on myself for them to – I always – again, that's this pressure that I placed on myself, but I used to think, well – When I had Harriet, my four-year-old, I used to think, well, what would she think of her dad? And I really obsessed on labelling or identifying an external role. So I would always think, what would she think of me success-wise? And she didn't see me play football. She doesn't know that stuff. I wasn't working at the time when I first had Harriet. I didn't have a job. So I kept obsessing on this idea that what does she think of me? What will she think of me? I don't have a job. I just really obsessed on it. And it wasn't to the point that I kind of went, I need to get a job. So then I really, again, I obsessed on climbing the ladder of player personnel, recruitment manager, GM, all this stuff because I was doing it out of the motivation to show my daughter that I am someone and I am something. And it was wrong, mate. It was wrong.
1: You didn't love it. You
2: didn't love it. I didn't. And you know what? I was actually neglecting. The fact that I couldn't do a lot with her as a baby because of my disability, I felt like I wasn't contributing. So I was thinking to myself, how am I going to contribute to the family? How How am I going to make up for it? 100%, mate. So then instead of being present as a dad, I started to really obsess on work and try to climb that ladder because I wanted to show her that this is how you do it, This is I want to be a really good role model for her, and if I couldn't do much as a dad at home, then how was I going to do that? And that was just me in my mind thinking, and it wasn't until I got to a point at one where I recognised I'd spent no time with her, I had no connection, I felt like we as a father-daughter relationship had no connection at all. It was like she didn't even know who I was, mate, and I'd had no feeling towards her at all. Like obviously cared about her, but I didn't have a connection of love or feeling towards her at all. It was the weirdest feeling I've ever had. And It wasn't until then I'll go, this isn't right, man. Like you need to spend time with your daughter, whether it's to force the connection or to just be present. And that was the time where I started to really work on that relationship and not obsess on my profession or all that types, those things, I just was trying to be as present as possible. And it was the biggest life lesson that I've ever had, man, because it made me recognize that that's all they want. They just want you to be there. And they don't give a shit whether you're the prime minister or you're a bloody NBA player. They don't care, mate. They really don't care. They just want you to be there. And that you could be doing, there's a lot of things that I can't do with kids. As Harriet's got older, I'm able to do a heap more now with her. But there's still limitations. But it's been really interesting to see her grow with me as well. And and she knows my limitations and, and the things that I can't do, but all the things that we can do together. But that really put my stress, I suppose, and anxiety around success and chasing things and identity at ease because of the purity of just the love from my daughter that she just wants me to be there. And she does not give a shit about anything else, man. But I remember during COVID, we all got put off work and I was kind of like happy because I got to spend time with the girls, you know what I mean? And then at the end of COVID, after two years of working remotely from home, that's when I made the decision to go back to uni and do psychology because I kind of went, I don't want to spend time away from the girls. I want to be there as much as I can. I want to try and establish a bit of life balance. I think if I was to finish my psych degree. I'd love to go into that performance, coaching, individual mindset kind of space with professional athletes or businessmen or businesswomen, that type of stuff. And I think that gives me a real ability to have a balanced lifestyle, pick and choose with who I work with and that type of stuff, leadership groups. That's kind of my plan, but that's purely come from my want to just be around my girls. And I never really got
1: that until It was really forced upon me when Harriet was kind of one. Wow, man. Fuck. That's very powerful stuff. Thanks so much for sharing that with all of us, man. That's that's really, really powerful stuff. And it sounds like to me that the biggest turning point in your life is, you know, in fatherhood, obviously, and coming to the realization of this very thing that you've just explained to all of us is more meaningful and more valuable to you than anything ever else will ever be.
2: Yeah. And it's kind of... It's definitely a bit of synergy because as a person, I like to give. I get a lot out of it. It makes me feel good. I don't need anything in return. It's just the type of person I am. I love to cook. I love to buy flowers for someone. I like to go and pick someone up. I remember when I was playing football, a guy that plays State of Origin now, he's one of my best mates, Dan Gagai, he was at the Broncos. He got sacked from the Broncos and way in bed of that coach at the time said to Dane, I'll sign you at Newcastle on one condition, that you can live with Alex McKinnon. If you don't live with Alex, you're not coming. And Dane goes, no, mate, I know Alex well from an Australian junior team that we played together. Sounds good. So Wayne kind of put that responsibility on me for him to come and live with me. I I I loved it. Like He didn't have a licence. He didn't know how to cook. He didn't know how to fucking make his bed. He didn't know anything. (laughs) But I really cherish that because I like to be able to help and it actually makes me feel like I'm really contributing. And I think if you then take that to being a dad, the fact that I couldn't do a lot at the start was so hard for me, man, because I just felt like I felt like a spare dick just sitting around going, yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on here? Like, I can't do it. It would have been frustrating, man. Mate, you know, it was the hardest time of my life, hey? Can we talk about all this? Yeah.
1: Okay, because I really want to talk, mate. I can't even really imagine. So I want to hear it from you. Talk to me through, okay, so you're playing rugby league. You've knocked up a bunch of games. You've played for the Georgia LaWarra Dragons, and you've gone across to Newcastle back to your hometown. It was in March of 2014, was it? Yeah. Talk to me through that day, the game, the incident, and how all this changed, because I want to know as detailed as you possibly can get, like I'm in your shoes kind of thing.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, as you said, it was actually round three of 2014. We played Melbourne down in Melbourne, and it was a really – I was on the bench at the start of the game, and it was a really – I I never felt like I was present on the day. I never felt like I was present in the warm-up. I can distinctly remember putting my boots on. I'm quite an obsessive person with my routine. One of my screws in my boots actually wasn't in the boot. I didn't know where it was. So I remember sitting on the sideline, even the warm-up, just something not feeling right. We played Melbourne in 2013 in the major semi to get into the qualifying semi before the GF, and we beat Melbourne down there. And it was a real fiery game, and we were two good teams at the time, so it was a real battle. So returning back to Melbourne after having that win late in 2013 was we we're pretty excited to go down there. Started the game, I was on the bench. And the game unfolded as it did. I then went onto the field for about 10 minutes, and I suffered a spinal cord injury from a lifting tackle. I remember laying there after the injury, not being able to move anything. You know, there was 25,000 people in the stadium and it was purely just silent, man. Like So eerie. Yeah, I knew straight away something was up. I couldn't move my arms or my legs.
1: What was the run like? So before impact, do you remember yeah. taking the run and all that?
2: No, I don't really. I remember after it happened, like it was like everything just stopped and it was so clear like i could hear like really heightened sensitive of hearing i could feel the cold air on my face a lot it was really cold down in melbourne if i close my eyes i can clearly see the people who were around me and just how they were reacting it was like everything kind of just really slowed down and yeah as i got stretched off to under the grandstand i remember paul harrigan who's a newcastle knight legend past player yeah, just pinching my legs and feeling me. And I remember he's a very emotional, spiritual kind of guy. And I remember him looking at me like, fuck, this can't be right. Like, something's wrong here. He'd never seen something like this before. And, yeah, it was fucking, yeah, pretty crazy, man. Like, and then my coach come down just before halftime because the injury was just before halftime. And he come down into in the sheds and was talking to me. And I knew something was up there. I knew it was bad. I couldn't feel my legs, couldn't feel my arms. And you couldn't move them at all? Couldn't move at all. I wasn't scared. I just took a real, I don't know why.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi.
2: but I just felt, okay, I need to call my partner. So I got my mate to get my phone and call my partner. I then got him to call my mum and dad. So I pretty much told them, look, I'm in Melbourne. I know you guys, we watching the game. Usually they come to all the games, but I'm in Melbourne. This is pretty serious. I need you guys to come down. So they, yeah, they literally caught the next plane down the next night. But I remember calling my mum when she answered the phone and I'll never, ever forget the, this cry, like this roar on the phone, man. It was like, fuck, I'd, I'll never, ever, ever forget a eh? Yeah, so then from there, um, in Melbourne, I was in induced coma for about five days in Melbourne. Just had multiple operations and stuff like that. From there, got like a lead jet, like a private jet, to back to Sydney. And then I was in Sydney in Rural North Shore for three months. And then I was in a rehab for three months in Sydney as well. And there's so many elements to it, man, because like I, when I got my diagnosis, I, I remember laying there as I slowly came to out of an induced coma after about five days. And I remember coming down from the drugs. like I was just wigging out massively, man. Like the TV was coming off the wall, like, Every time I'd go to sleep, I didn't want to go to sleep because people would be coming after me. And I just got so, I was just fully wigging out, man. Like I remember opening my eyes one time and there was this lady there just pricking my leg with a pin, like with this little instrument, but it's kind of like a pin. And she was picking my toes, pricking my toes and asking me, could I feel stuff? And just pricking my body, just assessing it. And it was the first time, like as a rugby league player, you definitely look at your body like a bit of a vehicle because it's your nutrition and your, and your weights and your, and your fitness and you definitely treat it like that. But I still felt like a person. But at this time, I suppose when I was playing rugby league, I was really proud to be identified as a rugby league player as well because I worked so hard. It was a position of power. It was a position of prestige, sacrifice, etc. To lay there and someone prick you and trying to find a classification of your injury, I really struggled with it. Because they weren't talking to me as Alex. They were trying to label me and, and as something that I didn't want to be associated with. Like it was a bit of a mindfuck to be honest initially and they wouldn't really address me as a person. They always addressed me as a quadriplegic or as a C4 incomplete Asia score C. Like it was very labeling and I just, I was always like, I can't control that I got injured. I can't control that I can't move my fingers. So stop fucking bringing it up and linking me to this clear classification. Like, it's not me. And I really struggled with it, mate, initially because I worked so hard in rehab. A lot of my recovery, a lot of people's recovery with spinal cord injuries, it's out of your control, man. Like, it really is. And I was very fortunate to my injury classification is an incomplete spinal cord injury, So which means the injury to the spinal cord was not extreme It didn't sever the spinal cord, but that doesn't mean that the impact that it had doesn't cause quite a debilitating injury, which it did. Obviously, I can't walk. I'm in a wheelchair. Initially, I couldn't move my arms or anything like that. But as time has gone on, I've worked pretty hard and I've been able to get a lot of things back, but it's quite debilitating. It was very frustrating and being in hospital was crazy, man, because... I'm sure even now to this day, like say if you go in a lot of environments that you put yourself in, you can control that. Like if you don't want to be around someone, man, you can kind of go, you know, I'll get out of there. Or, you know, I like this person. I'm going to be more around them. Or, you know what, today I don't feel like going to see Joey because he's a good guy but he pisses me off sometimes. Or I'm feeling like I want to get a coffee here we'll go there and let's go see this Spontaneous. you got that control. When you're in a public hospital, in a spinal cord ward with 30 other people next door, to, like literally bed to bed, one, you can't control who you're next to and two, <laughs> there's not much privacy or no, oh, it, it, was, it was crazy, man. Like, I met so many interesting people, people that I just would not have met before and it was actually something which I learned really quickly when I got there that I was very grateful for the situation that I was in. And it was a bit of a mind fuck for me because obviously I had this spinal cord injury and I'd lost so much and I couldn't move and I was hating so many elements of being there or oh, nearly, nearly everything to do with being there. But for me to be able to go such and such next door, I had a car crash, her partner left her two days after, they didn't have the cash for her whole family to come down from Moree. So only her dad could be there. Yeah, I mean, to, there's multiple stories that I just learned from meeting these people that just blew my mind and it really instilled gratitude in my life right from the beginning, man. And it was like it was meant to be in that hospital. It was meant to be around those people because it gave me a great sense of gratitude and understanding it. Look, you know what, this is fucking shit, the situation that you're in, but you've got a great support. People care about you. X, Y, and Z, and there's a lot of other people in situations that you know what their recovery might be better, and some of them was, but I mean the way you can handle things, the way I was able to, I suppose compute or analyze stuff, it, it I think it really gave me a bit of an advantage.
1: Mm. But mate, thank you very much for sharing all of that you know with us and myself here, man. I'm very grateful to hear that yeah. from you.
2: It's funny, Sam. It's funny, man, because one of the like the initial obviously changed my life was obviously quite dramatic. I remember being in rehab, so in total for say hospital for three months, rehab for, for three months, so six months total. I remember then having to leave. I was so scared to leave that environment because I started to become really comfortable there. I mean, you had nurses, you had people around you that were really familiar with the spinal cord injury and you started to gain a bit of confidence. I was so scared to then leave the hospital because going back to the normal world, I always envisioned that when I was going to go home back to my house, I would be normal. You know, I'd be, I'd be able to, I'd be fully able back walking around. It was just a just a matter of time that I was going to recover. And when like we, like I said, with that you place that ceiling on something, the ceiling was six months. When I got to that six months mark, I was going fuck. Like this hasn't played out how I thought it was going to play out. I've now got to go home back around my dogs that I can't walk back around my mates that I. Uh, at footy training and I'm at home, back around the beach that I can't swim in now. I was obsessed with watching dads with their kids doing things that I could never do. Going back to the real world was crazy because it really, I started to, to think about all the things that I couldn't do. And day to day, I wasn't surrounded by people who were, one, in the same situation as me or two, We're in a worse situation, which then allowed me to find some gratitude each day. It was a reminder. I was literally at home with my partner in my house who had gone back to work. I couldn't get out of my house because the door wasn't really accessible. It was just, it was literally the hardest period of my life, mate. And I've said to people before, that's kind of where I definitely did contemplate suicide and all that type of things at that time because I was just so up against it, man. Like, I just felt so out of place. I couldn't do anything. I was continually seeing things that I couldn't do. It was just really, 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 really tough. Yeah, that was probably the toughest period of my life. And it wasn't until I kind of, I remember my coach at the time called me and he knows me really well. He's an experienced coach. He's been around life. He's got disabled kids himself. And he called me up one day and he goes, what are you doing, mate? I said, oh, I don't like to make people feel like I'm struggling. Because I feel like I can carry it myself. But he kind of goes to me, What are you doing, mate? And I said, Oh, like, oh yeah, I'm going all right. Like I'm doing this. He's never, what are you really doing? I went, Well, well I'm kind of sitting in the front room in the sun just watching a bit of telly. He goes, Well, you've been home for a few months now. What are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know, mate. I don't know what I'm doing. And he goes, Well, it's about time you start finding some action in your life because you can't keep sitting around like the way you are. I went, Fuck, man. I said, I feel like in my head, I'm going, mate. Yesterday, I contemplated suicide. I said, and You're fucking, you're challenging me to find actions in my life now. I then got off that phone. I went, This bloke knows me that well. And he knows I'm struggling. And at my lowest time, he knows that I can handle a kick up the ass. And mate, it was exactly what I needed. Like, it was exactly, what I needed the challenge because I had so many people around me that were just caring for me, helping me, cradling me making sure I was okay, which I'm forever grateful for, and I'm very lucky that I've got those people in my life. But to have him to know that I needed a challenge, and I was at that point in my life, you know what, I was fucking struggling big time, but he needed to hit me with that. And at that point, I went, okay, sweet, yep, I need to do that. I need to get out of the house. I need to – so I I literally started to – Analyze my life and go, You know what am I really struggling with? How do I gain some control back of my situation? Like, what am I scared of? Are you scared of not being able to know something about your injury, or are you frustrated that you can't organise your care to go to bed a bit later, or can you use your chair correctly? Do you need some support or help with that? You don't have your license yet, or maybe it's something that you need to start looking into. How do you get a modified car? Simply being around people. Okay, geez, I'll go back to you. I'll go, I'll, I'll enroll in university, which I was in before, simply to be around people and to gain a bit of confidence. I was really insecure about how I looked because it wasn't how I looked before and I could not control that. Even things I wore, like I wasn't really happy with the clothes that I was wearing because they didn't sit the same as they used to before. So simply just going and buying new clothes, man, or going to just trying to take some control back of my situation. Was, those were the actions that I... So then he'd call me up a week later. He goes, what have you doing, mate? I said, well, I'll fucking tell you what I've been doing. I've been doing i been listening to all these things. He goes, good. He goes, good. He goes, the next time I call you up, I, goes, I want to hit some more. He goes, because that's what it's all about, mate. You've got to find actions in your life. He goes, you can sit around and you can feel sorry for yourself. He goes, you've been handling it fucking incredibly well. He goes, you've done everything you can. He goes, but it's now time to try and get out of that comfort zone and stop sitting at home. And do it and you need to do something about it and mate it was, fucking life, it was life-changing hey and i'm feeling a bit of the goosebumps
1: you're telling me this shit man it's yeah. amazing
2: yeah it's definitely a side to everybody where sometimes other people know you better than you know yourself or willing to challenge yourself like yeah i don't know like i said i did have a bit of an imposter syndrome i, I definitely like to be a leader but i also like to be by myself a little bit sometimes so to have someone that kind of can recognise these things, but then also go, hey, you, need to start, you know, start doing some things that are a
1: bit more challenging and get out of your comfort zone to grow. It takes a special bond and a friendship, I feel, for someone like that to call you out and tell you that. Yeah, yeah, I
2: agree, mate. I, I think it's definitely a delicate situation. I it's definitely kind of
1: borderline. Hey, eh? it's like borderline. Like fuck, it's clearly like I can't even imagine the challenging times. But then to actually be on the other end of the line, be like, bro, yeah. I want you to do something today. I want you to pick up your act and go and do yeah. some things and come back yeah. and report to me because there's nothing's going to come positive sitting around by yourself in a home. Mate, I fucking, it's borderline almost inappropriate, but it's amazing.
2: Yeah, it is exactly what I needed. And that's,
1: yeah. Mate, so throughout this journey, right? So playing footy through the injury, what has been, I think you touched on it there a moment ago around the single most challenging part of this journey? Am I right saying that it was the leaving the hospital back to the real domesticated life, so to speak, and kind of ruling yourself out of, going, like you said, going for a swim, running with the dogs and all that sort of stuff? Was that moment in this whole journey up to today, was that kind of the toughest part of your life so far?
2: Yeah. I remember being in a car, so my van, my partner was driving, I was sitting in the back. Anyone that's come into Newcastle, you come around and round about, you come up over a hill and you come down into Newcastle. I remember distinctly sitting in the back of the van coming up over the hill and coming back down and sitting there and going, this is not how I was meant to come back to Newcastle. And like, this is not what it's meant to be like. And yeah, it really fucked me. It really, man, my mind was just, I didn't feel present. I remember someone said to me one day, he goes, your body is a vehicle. He goes, it's how you get from A to B. He goes, what you do at A and B is what's most important. And I think that was something around that time when my coach challenged me around actions that I really started to think of myself as a bit of a vehicle to get around. Like, yes, don't be obsessed with uh, the might take a little bit longer or don't be obsessed with, you know, when you use a wheelchair now instead of your legs, it's really important that you're present at A and B, that you can get something out of it. But, yeah, going home, man, was it was a real struggle because I just didn't, I was just continually faced with things that I just could not do. And I just had to sit in it, mate. Sometimes you just got to eat a shit sandwich, eh? like, I just literally sat in it. And you know what? I probably needed to just sit in it, but I was also grateful to get the challenge and try and find some actions in it as well.
1: It's, Mate, it sounds like you haven't stopped finding the actions with everything that you've been up to and having a family and all that sort of stuff, mate. So on that other end, what's the biggest thing? And I mean, mate, as I said earlier, I can't even understand. Of course, I'll never understand what you've been through and everyone's journey is very different. And, mate, I don't even know how hard it would have been. It's insane what you've been through. And, mate, of course I feel for you, but I can also see that you've grown a lot by what you've mentioned throughout your journey from when we picked up this call to now. It sounds like to me that as traumatic and as a fucking fucked up situation this is that you've been through, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, to get to where you are today, you've probably looked back and gone, fuck, I needed some of that stuff to happen to feel like the man I am today or something. That's what I'm feeling like I'm here I recognised
2: probably a year ago that I wouldn't change anything that's happened in my life. I don't miss being a professional footballer. I'm really grateful for the situation I'm in right now. And I may wholeheartedly I am like, and who's to say if I could go back and change things that I wouldn't be here with you today? I wouldn't have three beautiful girls. I wouldn't. I mean, doing and had the happiness that I had. Because even when I was playing football, mate, I I had frustrations, I had things I didn't like, I had anxiety, I had all these things I didn't like. And sure, do I have struggles today? Yeah, 100%, mate. Like, I'm better equipped, I'm a lot more aware, and I'm a lot more in control than I've ever been. And I wouldn't change anything in my life, man. Like, I've definitely found a real spiritual side of myself, not being able to do a lot of things and having those things taken away from me has really forced me to, again, find actions and find new things that I like, listen to new music, go to art galleries, listen to different podcasts, meet different people. It's really forced me to have a different lens of my life and see things completely different. And before I got injured, not to say I was a bad person, but you know, who knows where things could have gone, man? I don't know. I really, I really don't know. And I think one of the lessons that I really learned is that everyone talks about gratitude and trying to find some gratitude in your life. When I tried to find gratitude initially, it was fully and utterly faked. I sat in my house. My house that I used to live in was across the road. And sometimes I drive past it and I look at it and I go, Holy fuck. I think of the times that I used to have in that house, particularly when I come home. And I remember trying to find gratitude when I was living in there. And I'm trying to write down things that I was actually grateful for. And there was. There was things that I was really grateful for. But the weight of all the other things that I couldn't do was so hard. And it was so heavy, man. It was hate for the person that injured me. There was frustration for the situation that I was in. There was just animosity to all the things that I couldn't do. And that was really outweighing the things that I was grateful for. But then I needed to put the weight on the things that I was grateful for. And I faked it, man. I really did. I continually wrote down things that I was grateful for. And I just put so much focus on those things that as time went on, the gratitude was not faked anymore. Like it's, means I actually get frustrated with myself sometimes that I can kind of see the, the cup half full. You know what I mean? Like all the time. As as it fucking pisses me off sometimes. Always seeing to-
1: the silver lining out of everything, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah 100% because you like sometimes you need to get a bit of a bit of shit about you know, and I've always been a bit of an aggressive person as a footy player or or as just things that I go about stuff so I've definitely got still got that fire in me a little bit but to find that silver lining in a lot of situations it's a good thing mate I wouldn't go back and change anything cuz I wouldn't be in the spot I'm now you know what I mean?
1: It's a ve- And, mate, talk about a very rare mindset. It's a very rare mindset to have because it's – how often do you hear of anyone having the mindset that you're impacting right now? So, mate, hats off for the journey that you've been on up until, you know, 30 years of age in February. Happy birthday to – for that. You've accomplished so much. And you've yeah. – as you mentioned earlier, you're only 30. You know, I'm 34. Yeah. We've still got a long time ahead of us. But it's about what we do in these very moments that dictates – how we feel, right? We can't control what happens tomorrow or next week or in a month's time as much as we'd love to. That's anxiety trying to rule that, you know? We we just can't. And that's just the way life is. And you've just got to do what you can in this moment in time. We all get swept up off our feet sometimes and think about, fuck, okay, this is what I've got to do tomorrow. Or I'd love to be here. I want to be an actor. I want to be on TV in in six months' time. But if I'm not, look, it's not the end of the world. You know, I'm, I'm doing my very best the same way that we all, you know, we can all do our very best and some things are out of our control.
2: I'll tell you something funny. Like When I got told to find some actions, I was really obsessed on identity and who I was as a person because clearly before I was a rugby league player, but when I got injured, I couldn't help but identify myself with the injury. So I literally asked myself, who am I?
1: Like Like legitimately said, who am I now? Like, who am I?
2: Literally was sitting at the back of my house going, who am I? Like I was obsessed on what I wanted to become, I was obsessed with what I was right now. And I literally said to myself, who am I? Like, and I was it made it fucked with my head massively because it was one of the biggest things I was always so focused on becoming something inspiring, always had goals, always really focused. But I was in this environment where I was so lost and so unknown. And I said to myself, well, why do people like you? Why do people want to talk to you? Why do people like hanging out with you? And why have you got the support that you've got? Why do you have a good friends? Who are you? like? And I kind of started to write down, well, okay, well, I think people like me. I think my mate likes me because I'm honest. I'm quite loyal. And I started to think back of actions that I'd done in my life to that point. And I go, well, how did you become friends with Dane? How did you become friends with this person? Like, I started to really write down loyalty and I was really honest and I was really authentic. Kind, caring, all this stuff. Yeah, 100%. Literally listing values of me as a person, not necessarily skills, but purely values. And then I kind of said to myself, well, okay, well, going forward, if I'm really clear on the values of who I am as a person and I'm really comfortable with that's me, well, if I use them as a filter to make my decisions that I make throughout my life as we go forward on this day or this week, then I would be okay with however the day panned out or however essentially my life pans out. And it put me at peace so much because I was always identifying with all these other things. When I stripped it back on pure values, it made me so much, it put me so at ease, man, because I'm like, you know what, I know this is me, I know these values. If I'm really conscious of them every time I make a decision, I'm asked to do something, but use them as a bit of a guide, it put me at peace, man, to go, okay, well, I'm going to end up where I'm going to end up. I can't control that, but as long as I'm determined, I'm focused, I'm disciplined, I'm all these things, if I can kind of be most, then most of the time, I'm going to end up where I'm meant to end up, man, and really put me at ease. Hey, It made me feel so much more easy about the situation that I was in because I was doing my own head
3: in.
1: Yeah. And it's, mate, I actually had this same conversation around the labeling yourself as a, you know, identifying yourself as something or another, I think is very dangerous. I had this same conversation with another guest, man, it would have been two or three episodes ago, Rachel J. And we're talking about how dangerous it, it actually really is for us as human beings to label yourself as something because... You played football, you're not a footballer. I do acting, I'm not a actor, Sam Webb is not a actor. I do acting, I do charity work for a living. I've got a fiance, I've got friends. Bringing it all back to values recognition, which is exactly what you've just mentioned, is like literally changes your life. Because yeah, it's man. like, okay, I'm compassionate, I'm a hard worker, I'm caring, I'm honest, I'm authentic if these are the things which then you start making your decisions on every day, if you get stripped of a job title or I don't become an act, like I don't work in acting anymore or I leave living or whatever it is in mental health, there were the things that I did a little, like part of my journey was doing those things, but it wasn't who I was. Like just because you've left that part of your life doesn't mean that that your whole being is lost. Am I making sense? It makes sense.
2: A hundred percent, man. I think with values, like, you're going to fuck up. Sometimes you're going to do things that aren't aligned with who you are as a person. Of course. But as long as majority of the time, your decisions and what you do are aligned with those values, you're going to be consistent and, and honest with yourself. And, but I, can, I can, could not agree more with that. I, yeah. I think as well, I have a carer that sometimes that puts me to bed and she's a young uni student and I was talking to her just around like, how do you know that that's what you wanted to do when you finish school? Like she's gone into this degree, and she's like, "I don't want to do it anymore." I said, "Well, don't do it." I said, "If that's not what you want to do, like, don't obsess on. You want to go to uni down the track? Yeah, you'll find your way back there. But like, you don't know that you want to go and be a dietitian or a radiographer. How do you know? Like, have you had experience of that in your like in your life? No, not really. Well, like, don't put the pressure on yourself to go and do that when you don't even know if that's what you want to do. Like, don't obsess on these things, man. Like. Yeah, it so, so, of, it's yeah.
1: so true, hey, because
2: it's just, yeah. she's a good person. You know, she's a great person, great values, but you're obsessing and you're getting yourself down on not doing this degree because it's something that you're meant to do and you made a decision when you are 18. Well, hang on a minute. You're a good person. You've got all these values. You're going to end up back where or you're going to end up doing something that you're going to do if you're really clear on who you are as a person. And that was something right. that I tried to remind her of. Is, yeah, okay, you're feeling the pressure of you and you don't worry about doing it. I mean, you're a good person, continually do those things, and you're going to end up where you're going to end up, like trying to put a, a little bit of peace there.
1: And you're kind of leading with values, I think, is what I'm hearing you say. is kind of like yeah. lead with values, but getting clear on who you are from a value point of view is most important, and that should help you dictate some of the decisions that you make in your life. And, mate, I'm in full agreeance of that. I think it's very, very true, and I think it's very interesting as well because you ask people what their values are for the most part. No one even knows. So, it's, mate, it's wild, man. It's wild. But, mate, this has been an absolute amazing podcast. And I could talk to you for hours. We've been going for over an hour, man. It's one of my longest podcasts. Before we uh-huh. get to the very end, and, mate, I appreciate your time, and I'm trying to do a big 360 here and come back to where I cut you off earlier and you're explaining to me about the injury and stuff like that. So as a father, mm-hmm. you've got three beautiful girls. Harriet's four. You've got twins that are one. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct, yeah.
1: What has been the most challenging thing? And then I want to hear what's been the most amazing thing.
2: Yeah. Most challenging thing is just not being able to help the way that I thought I would as a dad. Like I said, I'm really caring. I like to do things for people. But to simply then have a baby that you simply can't do anything for is really tough, man. Like it was really frustrating it was probably one of the hardest things i've gone through in my life aligned with returning back home that period of having a child it really rattled me mate like yeah it was one of the hardest times of my life because i just felt just really useless mate and then for not being able to connect with your child initially to feel like they were just not what it was meant to be like was really i really struggled with that man and I'm something I'm really proud of saying that I worked at it and now we've got such a great relationship.
1: Yeah, mate, that's amazing. That's amazing, you know, and as you've progressed as well.
2: One of the best things, which is actually quite interesting because it's related to that, is to see my daughter grow and see me for the first time, like to see her recognise certain things with me being in a wheelchair or just to see her compassion around different things. It's just been so interesting to see her grow around me because she obviously doesn't know anything different than me being in a wheelchair. So to yeah. then and to see how I open a drink bottle or how I open something, to see her watch me do it and then she does it the same way or to see I've got a catheter bag that I go to the toilet with. She might come up to me she goes, Daddy, you need to go to the toilet. I'm like, oh, yeah, darling, I do. She's like, I'll come with you. I'm like, okay, sweet, like. It's just made it fucking blows my mind to just to see her grow from someone that you know, and you don't know you when they're born, you don't know them at all. And then we went through a stage where I had no connection at all, mate, to her. Like, no, and I just felt so guilty to then work at it and get to a point where she's my best friend. She's four years old, and all she wants me to do is just be there with her, and we'll do whatever we can do. And to see her grow and adapt from holding onto my chair and standing up next to it to trying to help me empty my catheter bag to go to the toilet to get me my fork if I need it to just so many different compassionate things that she does. It really blows my mind, mate. And then from that point to then think back and go, I've got one-year-old twins now that I'm going to go through the exact same thing that I've been through with Harriet. That is the thing, man, that I think about daily and it blows my mind. To think from the stages, where I'm at now with my four year old daughter and everything that we've experienced and been through and how that makes you feel, to think I'm gonna go through that again, mate, it fucking blows my mind. Hey, like I can't even think about it, man. It really rattles me. Hey.
1: That's wow. So yeah, it's yeah. Mate, it's kind of like a double edged sword, isn't it? It was the most challenging. And then yeah. obviously putting more effort, like time and doing what you can to just be there for her has made your relationship stronger than it probably would have ever been, even if
2: you know. that's a hundred percent, man. And I also think if I was fully able, who knows if I would be able to be around my daughter this much.
1: Yeah, exactly. Who
2: knows if I was to be able to have the ability to recognize that I wasn't here or would I just neglect that feeling and chase something else? Like, yeah, that's why I kind of say I'm happy with where I'm at, man. And yeah, it's a, mate, it's,
1: yeah it's unreal man i mean and i appreciate you sharing and you know your journey with myself and all of us it's been a long time coming mate getting you on the podcast and it's honestly been a real pleasure you know having you on here and i appreciate your time and i know that it's very valuable but i'm glad i got you for this time while i got you here man because it's been real good and i'm very grateful for it at the very least i'm very grateful for your time and mate you're obviously up and so you know your movement wise today versus you know the six months after it all happened where are you at with everything
2: yes yeah, so i within that first six months i was able to improve a fair bit but then after that what's been eight years now since i've been injured i've gradually improved but just arm movement wise like feeling wise i do a lot of standing activities and, and different things like that i'm back driving now in a modified car which
1: is is it like a daily thing are you doing like is it like a every day you do work or kind of like the gym
2: yeah, so, yeah, I've got a gym just at the back of my house. I do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, just for about an hour and a half. I love still starting my day with some exercise and activity and a lot of stuff. definitely gets the body moving and yeah, it feels good, man. Like even standing up in a four-hour walker, having that weight through my feet and that, yeah, feels so good, man. You know, yeah, I'm good for circulation and that as well. And when I started driving again, in my car, that was gave me so much independence and freedom to get around. Started to make me feel like a bit more like a man again because I could actually, well, not a man, but a human. You know, what I mean, I feel like a human again because I could actually do something that everybody else could do and be able to simply go and do some things and get around. I wasn't asking for a cab or things all the time. Yeah,
1: it's just like kind of. Is it like a kind of a timing thing? So will it get better? Like will the condition stuff improve? each week, each month, each year? How does it all work? Because I don't know anything about it.
2: It's one of the things that used to really frustrate me, but it's one of the things now that I'm really grateful for because my situation and my condition now is very stable. So okay. after eight years, I've probably got out of everything that I probably can. But the fact that it's stable allows me to go, okay, this is where you're at. What can you do? How do you work with it? And it allows me to kind of then... Be rely upon what i can now
1: do so like expectations and stuff is that what you mean like setting realistic expectations and stuff
2: yeah yep and daily activities yeah cool and things like that i'm not delaying my life to sit back and go oh if i'm walking next week or if i'm being able to move my hand better next week i'm not worrying about the ifs and maybes i'm really comfortable with the situation i'm in right now i've been probably stable in this situation from my recovery for the last probably few years. And now I've really tried to, I suppose, execute and and go with what I've got. A lot of people in my situation aren't as fortunate as that and their condition actually decreases and gets worse. So whether it's skin condition or whether it's issues with bladder and stuff like that, or whether it's medication or whether it's an issue with their side of injury a lot of people suffer mate and they don't necessarily get to a point where they've got that stable foundation to rely upon and as much as what i like to be able to do more 100 percent. but i'm also lucky that i'm in a stable condition where i can actually rely upon it i know that my morning routine is going to take me an hour hour and a half it's consistent, it's consistent and be able to rely upon it i know i can say to somebody, you know what, at 8 30, I'm gonna come and do this podcast. I'm not gonna have any mishaps or anything that's gonna fuck up in the morning that's gonna stop me from being reliable and being able to do something, which I'm lucky to have that mate, because a lot of people don't have that with this condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people have, yeah, things that go back
1: kind of go backwards over time. Yeah, well, mate, there's your gratitude there again, mate. I can hear it popping through. So I love it. I love it, man. And it sounds like you've got that base, you've got that routine, and and that would help build up a consistent schedule for yourself with limitations, expectations, and all that sort of stuff, man. But, mate, I've already stolen an hour and 20 of your time. I'm so grateful for it. On behalf of myself and absolutely everyone at Livin' and everyone listening, mate, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate all of your insight into your own journey, into where you're at today. There is no doubt so many tangible takeaways that everyone can take. I've already taken some away from this podcast that I'm going to instill more in my life, you know, certainly around, you know, I've always been grateful and whatnot, but probably not as grateful. And I think you've reminded me to try and lead with values more. I try to do that there for a bit, but yeah, you've definitely reminded me the importance of values. And I do appreciate that, man. How can people follow your journey? How can people reach out and support you and all that sort of great stuff if they want to support and follow you? Where do they find you?
2: Just got social media, mate. So just Instagram and Twitter. I don't really use Facebook that much, but, yeah,
1: that's about it, to be honest. Sounds good, bro. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time. And, yeah, man, until next time, we might have to do another podcast pretty soon. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Big love, bro. Big love. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at livin.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak.
3: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands.